Welcome to the JMS Podcast with me, Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Settle down, settle down. I know it's been a crazy week. We've gone through a lot. Uh, today's episode is a mostly musical episode. Actually, I think all of it's a musical episode. And it, today's guest is the one and only African, um, South African specifically, uh, musician, Rosan Hevar. I Hopefully I pronounced that last name right. I do... I am very bad with names. So Razan Hevar, she came by uh, and she brought with her a collaborator. His name is Joshua Johnson, who's a very interesting person. And I might have him back here really soon. Um, I think he has his own unique uh, background that I would like to dig into. But today is about Razan mostly and she we had a great talk about her music, her album, her background. And I just, got, all I gotta say is that she's very awesome. One of those very, what's the word I'm looking for? A very kindred soul. I think that's, I think that's the right way. I think I, I've used that that statement correctly there. Uh, I have to remind you, everybody, once again, uh, if you go right to your keyboard, I know it's right there in front of you, unless you're listening in from somewhere else. But that's okay because if you in your keyboard, you could write down JMS podcast, and you uh, it'll pop up on iTunes, it'll pop up on Google Play, on Stitcher Radio, and even on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe. Every subscription is important. Subscribe if you haven't already. If you enjoy this podcast, I, I thank you for listening in and tuning in. And you can uh, also follow the JMS podcast on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm actually doing a lot more content on those apps. So uh, I think it's a good way for you to uh, keep in touch. Especially since uh, we are 10 episodes away, roughly, from our season finale. And we're gonna, I'm going to have a long break. Because uh, uh, it's in good timing. Uh, a lot of transitionings are happening in life, and I could really use a break. So we're close to reaching our 100th and 50th episode. And in that downtime, I will be posting stuff on social media. I'll be promoting uh, different stuff from past guests. And so, yeah, so that's a good way to stay on top of it all. You can also check out the JMS Podcast website at jmspodcast.com. And you can always send me an email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. It's been a while since I plugged in the email list for the JMS Podcast. It is never too late. Just go to the homepage of the website at the very bottom. You can submit your email. You can receive different emails from me regarding upcoming events and other content available to you soon. I do recommend it because we get some upcoming events. And talk about upcoming events, I got to give a huge shout out. Shout out to the Awesome Foundation here in San Jose. Thank you to Mark Hanley and the trustees for helping us out on our upcoming event. They have given us a grant. And it's going to be a fun event. I won't say much details right now because we're still working it out. But we are looking forward to it. In the past, we've done a poetry event. We've done a music show. We've done a, also a comedy show. So it's only about time that we do an art show. And we're going to have some selected guests who've been here on the podcast to showcase their work and do a Q&A panel. Look forward to it. And once again, thank you, thank you to the Awesome Foundation. Uh, it's, and it's also, it's nice. It's really nice to know that some people are listening in. Because here, uh, me and my friends and people who help me out the, with the podcast, we don't really consider ourselves, you know, in the in crowd. You know, we're not exactly... How can I say the most diplomatic way? And that is that we we're, we feel like outsiders, which is not a bad thing. It just means that we, we're not attuned to 
to what's really happening here culturally. So it's really nice to find out that some people on the inside are tuning in and are paying attention, are recognizing the JMS podcast. And I think that that just makes me very happy and it, and it makes me even more confident to continue doing this and to continue uh, striving for the best um, alternative media content to put out there. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, thank you. I think... Think that's all I could say for now. Super thank you. So big shout out to them. Please check them out. Please go visit awesomefoundation.com, um, I believe. But uh, I have to double check on that. So I, I strongly suggest everybody to, to go check it out. It's super easy. And they are great people. All right, let's head on over with Roseanne Hivar. I'm going to play a song from her latest album, which is available on cdbaby.com. It's called Stillwater. And the name of the song is called When We Were Water. And I like it. I like it a lot. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation because at the end of the conversation, she and her collaborator Josh sing a song here in the studio called Army of Muses. How's that for a title? Army of Muses. It's freaking awesome. So here we go. This is Rosan Havar. Swirling through deep 
My, my voice sounds deeper than I expected. You know how your voice sounds different to you when you hear it back? Yeah, I, I never like hearing my own voice. I hate <laughs> it. And the thing is, I don't mind it, the singing voice, but the speaking voice is very different. Right, because the singing voice you could train, right? Yeah. Your, your normal speaking voice, you can't really. It's like, ah, this is what I'm born with. I've tried, I've tried, because... You know, especially at work, sort of in a more professional context, mm -hmm. you sort of, you know, you want to be decisive, and <laughs> and then sometimes you hear back, and it's like, who is this little person in the room bossing everyone around? <laughs> well, <laughs> line of work a tiny you? voice. What line of work are you in? Sorry. What line of work are you in? Um, I'm an IT, you know, an Bay IT. Area story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But is there a specific programming department you're in, or? So I. How does it work? Um, I manage a team of business systems analysts and we take care of all of our sales and our marketing applications. Uh -huh. so, so you're like in the management role, so you kind of need that voice. To yeah, like yeah, yeah. You go and you negotiate with vendors and you, yeah. you know, take care of people and you stand up to people and tell them that they need to do things differently. <laughs> so you want a deep voice. Which is, useful, <laughs> which is useful to apply in music as well if you're collaborating, mm -hmm. right? You know, uh, especially if you're somewhat of a band leader mm -hmm. or, or, or the front person yeah you know it's like all right how, how are we gonna put this together that's right? not really in music I'm very different yeah it's it gets a little democratic right it, more democratic I I think for music projects I bring here's my song this is what I do this is a vague idea sometimes I'll give very vague thoughts like I know when I went in with Tommy the other day I was like 
I told him a story of how we listened to a whale a couple days before, and I was like, I want that feeling of the whale to come through. The poor guy, he's like, he did it really well. He actually didn't amaze, he pulled out an electric guitar and gave me whale sounds in the end. And I was like, yeah, that's it. But um, like if I just had to contrast our styles, Josh kind of knows exactly what each person needs to do and pushes yeah. them there. I kind of leave it really open and just let people do what they want. Mm-hmm. And then Small aside, Tommy is Tommy P. Um, he's got a couple bands in San Francisco mm-hmm. and he runs a record label called 11th Avenue Records. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, so yeah. he's like well versed in the, not just the music, but the music business as well. He's, he's making his way. Yeah. We're all, it's, it's a work in progress for all of us. But um, yeah, he uh, he runs a studio out of his bedroom um, and he's foregone an actual bed and sleeps on a Japanese rollout instead so that he can have more studio space. Oh. Um, I mean, just the, the discipline of that always blows my this mind. This guy needs yeah. and breathes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Music production. It's a real deal. <laughs> now, yeah. I, 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 starting off, I gotta let you know that I, I am really bad with names. Mm-hmm. Uh, even today when we met outside the parking lot. <laughs> so you pronounce it R- Rosen? Rosan. 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 Yeah. Oh, if you can. How, how do you pronounce your last name? Um, so for music, my last name is Gevaar. Uh-huh. And if you could say it, you would say Rosan because it's Afrikaans. Uh-huh. Um, but for America, I just, I just say Rosan. Are you from South Africa? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is that where the Dutch background comes from? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I, I I know very few Dutch. I know I just know ich geen spreng Nederlands. That's all I know how to say. Oh, that's pretty good. Now I I don't really speak Dutch. I just speak Afrikaans, which is a little <laughs> bit similar. So uh-huh. there I could make out what you were saying. Uh-huh. Um, wouldn't be able to speak. Okay. Yeah. So where did music start for you? At what age were you interested in music and and? Uh, I think I was playing. a compulsive hummer, all my life. <laughs> As a child. <laughs> Always, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was the one, there'd be a group of people and I'd be three paces behind everyone and just humming to myself, you know. The beautiful thing is if you also sometimes talk to yourself, which some people do, you're just kind of reasoning things out. Mm-hmm. If people see you and they know you sing, they'll just assume that you're humming and apparently that's a lot more acceptable to them, you singing to yourself than you talking to yourself. Right. It's really weird. You look but less crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you look more passionate. Yeah, maybe. Um, so yeah, I was always the one who hummed, and then maybe in late high school I would sort of start strumming guitar a little, but I kept it to myself very much. Did you have a musical upbringing? No. Your, your parents were not into No one around me, no one around me. As a little girl, I dearly wanted to play the piano. We didn't have one at home, and so I would take piano lessons at school, and I would go in early in the mornings. Um, to go and use the room for a while. Mm-hmm. And that worked well, but then somehow when I was 10 or 11, I suddenly realized, oh, kids play at break time. I completely missed that whole thing. And um, then I started playing at break time and the piano kind of <laughs> went the What kind of sounds were your parents introducing you in the household? Like what kind of music were they playing? Um, Springsteen and Neil Young. Yeah. Oh, like very American... Uh, blue collar kind of thing yeah we pretty much had a I mean my dad had an LP player and we maybe had a collection of 30 LPs or something like that Mm -hmm. some of those were very bad Afrikaans things that we'd gotten from my granddad and some of it was his collection which was the Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel and Neil Young Young. and so those I knew really well Mm -hmm. and so it was pretty much that and then South African you know radio that I would listen to um 
and I know my one American friend when when I was in varsity came over and she was like man you guys got all the bad 80s you know because a lot of things were banned so um or censored uh-huh. um so yeah I think I had a small relatively limited set of sort of music that I listened to as a little girl but I didn't matter too much because I was just sort of humming my own thing anyway at what point were you starting uh, to perform in front of a public only in my early 20s uh-huh. So I kind of went a very roundabout way. You know, at, at some point I realized actually I might want to do something with this because this is going to get really pathetic if I'm sitting in my room playing by myself. Yeah. And at some point I'm going to, you know, be an old lady who sat in her room half her life playing to herself. And I wanted people to hear the songs so that someone else would sing the songs, but I realized if I don't sing it, no one's going to hear it. So my goal when I started out was really just to be able to give the songs away to someone and I didn't know a path for that. Essentially a songwriter. Yeah. Okay. But I took a very roundabout way because with, I don't know, Razan Logic, I was okay, I need to learn to play the guitar so I can accompany myself. But I didn't tell the person who was teaching me guitar that this was my goal. And so he was trying to teach me instrumental. I'm, I really am, play just enough guitar to get by. Mm-hmm. I can confirm this. Uh, last time we recorded in the EP that we're talking about a little bit at some point, um, uh, she did scratch tracks, and then the producer and I slowly just replaced all the scratch tracks with my parts because cause they did enough to get the song started, but like we needed to really like fine tune and bring some uh, musicality to it. And um, <clears throat> Razan can find that when she wants to but like that's my my purpose (laughs) so um uh yeah she does it enough to write the song and then if we're in the recording studio then I get to have fun yeah and so yeah I didn't tell him what I was doing and then I live when I lived in Greenville Ohio um I started singing lessons with a friend who was also a painter so we would get together Mm. and paint and sing she introduced me to my first open mic there, which was in Peaches in Dayton. Um, and I kind of slowly started from there. How was um, that feeling, performing at that open mic? I love performing. I mean, I've always loved public speaking. I love being on a stage. Um, that's actually something that I'm slowly starting to think, how do I get back into that? You know, if not socially or artistically, then even in work, because I just used to love speaking, like mm-hmm. impromptu um, speeches and debates and Should stuff. Should I have you sub-host the open mic? <laughs> Maybe. I've kind of jumped in there a couple of times. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. And uh, has your songwriting evolved since you, your early 20s to now? Do you feel like there's a certain uh, themes that you've gone through or, or stuff mm-hmm. that are, are reoccurring? I think so. Because when I started, invariably a song would be a poem that spilled onto a page in whatever form it had and then a melody would come and so they would be very, they would just flow wherever they wanted to. Um, And then once I started to play with people, so I just played by myself and that kind of allowed me to do what I wanted to. Um, The first album that I made was just me and guitar so I could do again what I wanted to. And then the second one, I have a a friend in South Africa who plays the cello, he's amazing and his whole thing is improv cello. Um, and he tours the U.S. He used to tour the U.S. every year. Mm-hmm. U.S. Um, he'd go to Europe and then sometimes do some in, in Asia as well. 
and he would stop wherever I was when I was in Ohio he would stop in Ohio on that tour every year and we'd do something and so I did an album where he could improv cello to what I was doing so again he's flexible enough to just go with sort of my pace as it went up and down mm-hmm. um, and then in um, the open mic I used to go to in Chicago which was called Gallery Cabaret um, they'd have s- musicians just sit in on your songs and so that was the first time that I I thought you know what whoever wants to play with me let me because it's an experience I wouldn't have otherwise and that was kind of my practice you know every week you go and do your one or two songs and a group of people are playing drums and it was this this one guy is, um, um, autistic and plays amazing piano he just like steps in with what you're doing and just does this really magical thing did you say he was um, autistic Charles yeah, yeah. Um, and um, like a savant Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So amazing. Um, and so that sort of started to force me to, re- had me realize <laughs> that it really helps if you have a more set format, you know. And so I think slowly I've come to that and then sort of working through, you know, books like, I th- what is it called? The Rhythm of the Dance or something, which is poetry, but, you know, speaks of the rhythm of it. Mm-hmm. So that I think now... I mean, Army of Muses, for example, it's very rigid. You know, I give myself a structure and I write within that. And I, I th- it's so, so it's sort of more focused and intentional. You find that more challenging? It's more of an exercise, yes. Mm. I mean, it's not just that, oh, I write the poem and I sing it whichever way it comes through. Um, but I do think you often end up with a better product because you're really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and invariably th- I think the songs that I end up liking most are the ones where I might write four songs worth of lyrics and then go through and sort of pick the ones that work best and really put it into sort of a structure that I like the way it builds etc mm. um, I mean what's weird now is I mean I used to just every song was written in a session currently I'm working on a song and it's an, it's an Afrikaans so it won't mean much to people here but um it's got a specific topic because um, I don't know if you know they've got the drought in South Africa right now with mm-hmm. huge water shortages and I've been sort of following this wa- this story of this one set this it's like a, uh, a water system that's underground and it's re- a lot of it's rerouted to the ocean it was paved over and built and this is coming from the Dutch era, era already um, and it's called Kamisa and so I've been writing a song about this water s- system um, kind of in the hope that one day all this water will flow um, in a way that benefits the community again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a song that's been coming for months. So going from writing a song in a session to going, oh, this is here, but you know, I had to do research, I had to go and find the names of the water systems and figure out how I you know, fit them in there. And Sounds like an assignment. <laughs> yeah. it, I like assignment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a very, you, you were asking about sort of approach and, and the process. That's a very different process mm. from, you know, some like My Blue Eyed Madness that, you know, just are so free flowing. Now, what city in South Africa were you raised? We moved a couple of times. So um, we lived, well, I went to school in Auckland Park in Johannesburg until I was about six, seven. And then after that, it was always somewhere in the Cape. Okay. So Heidelberg, um, 
on the Cape Peninsula, and then high school was in Nisna, which is a tiny little town, kind of, um, Sausalito will remind you a lot of it, beautiful. Yeah. Um, Port Elizabeth, then up the coast is where I studied, and my family live in Cape Town, so now whenever I go back, it's Cape Town. Hmm. I was asking, because it seems like the, the water is, seems to be a, a common motif, and the it way you look at songs and because earlier you mentioned about well music and stuff like that it seems like the the, the water is, a, is a, a big part of you I think so and I kind of have to I've been thinking I need to break out of the water because everything I write you know I've got when we were water which took a lot of you know time and effort and then or energy I should say it wasn't didn't feel like effort at all um and then um, Camisa, which is all about water, and then the album is called Still Water. But I can't help it. I do always come back to the water. Well, why fight it if it works, <laughs> right? I know. Just go with it. So I, I was, I'm wondering, how was the culture shock going from a very you know coastal area to the middle of the heartland of America in Ohio? What was I doing? Um, <laughs> how did that work for you? It. In hindsight, I mean, obviously, it's a huge adjustment. And then also, you know, having gone from a city like Port Elizabeth to a tiny town. I mean, the factory where I was working in, um, uh, was a chassis manufacturer, was in Union City, Indiana. And then I lived just across the border in Greenville, Ohio. Um, so there were three restaurants in town. We would drive 40 minutes to go to the closest Indian restaurant in Dayton, Ohio, that we loved. Not, not as diverse, um, huh? No, and you know, small town, um, of, like you say, climate very different. I arrived the first, <laughs> the first uh, winter. Um, you know, a friend had taken me to Burlington Coat Factory, and I bought what I thought was a very pretty coat. It had no padding, and that first winter I was just miserable. I was cold all the time. I was like, how do people do this? And I would walk around. I was like, you know, the earth doesn't want us here. <laughs> this is not a hospitable environment. Right, right. Like left to your own devices without heating and whatnot, you would die. <laughs> this is why. Um, and so, yeah, there were, I, I, I really missed South Africa so much. You know? So it's not really a surprise that your first open mic was in Ohio because at that point you're like, I need to do anything <laughs> to, exp to do something. It, did, it took me a couple years, yeah. but I will say this, and I always feel that even for people who grow up in small towns, I often feel like the greatest talent comes from the small towns. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because there's something in the water, no pun intended, or... Because um, <laughs> that talent's like pressured and, and constantly going like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here and there aren't a lot of other distractions. And so you turn oh. inwards and you do things you apply yourself to stuff you know it's like the difference between growing up on the coast where every day you can just go and sit on the beach because it's beautiful and it's right there and sitting yeah. and you've, you've got winter you're indoors for months and so I think it just pushes you to do more mm -hmm. and and to hone a craft or whether it's science that you you know do research I just I think there's a lot to be said for just boredom in general I always think they should just leave kids, take everything away and leave them to their own devices and they'd actually be a lot better off than with constant stimulation provided externally. Mm -hmm. um, you should allow yourself space to be bored because creativity, I think, is born out of that. Right, right. It, it's where creativity is most needed, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, what I find interesting about your work, looking at it, is that you, it's, you, you sing in two languages, essentially, mm -hmm. maybe even one more. 
Uh, but the two, yeah. English and Dutch. Afrikaans. Afrikaans, sorry. Yeah. I keep messing that so up. So Afrikaans Kitchen was, Dutch. It's, it's kitchen sort Dutch. of Dutch. It used Dutch. to be called Kitchen Af- Dutch, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so in English and Afrikaans, and it's like, are there two different ways of writing those kind of music when you're thinking of a song in English and thinking one in Afrikaans? Yeah, it's funny. Some are born in English and some are born in Afrikaans. And I've tried to take some of the Afrikaans songs and translate them. And it just doesn't come across in the same way and it, it would lose some passion on the, you know I would perf- I tried I performed a couple and people said to me oh, just do the Afrikaans yeah. <laughs> I could I couldn't capture and you know I, I guess you feel like that about everyone feels that way about their mother tongue but there's sort of some things that are just expressed so well with specific words that you just don't find an adequate translation for and it ends up being very frustrating Mm-hmm. So, to be fair, there's also this wonderful stage banter opportunity. Whenever <laughs> you sing a song that's in another language, you get to practically just tell the whole song in a language that your audience will understand, and then you seem very charming. Yeah. Somehow it seems extra poetic. Uh-huh. And it may just be because her delivery is so good when she starts uh, saying the uh, translation in English, but uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a great stage trick to... Uh, start with the translation and then play a song that no one can understand Mm. well what's nice well what i've tried to do just because i feel it's almost unfair to an american audience i mean they'll listen to you singing a song in afrikaans and there's something to it you know because there's just a musicality of it that they can enjoy but obviously they don't have the lyrics to know what you're singing about so they're very gracious and they'll listen but you couldn't do a whole show in Afrikaans for example Mm. and so what I try to do to just sort of meet them halfway is I would take this song and either just a verse or two I would translate it for them and that is nice because then it sounds poetic Mm. you know and they get to enjoy that delivery and then have a little bit of context to know because you know when you're listening to someone singing their song there's a point, I think, when you start listening, whether when you decide whether you're going to commit to what they're presenting. You know, it's almost like you have to decide whether you trust them when they start. And some people will start, and you'll be like, eh, it's not really my thing. This isn't me." And you'll mm. kind of, you'll be there, but not as invested. And then there'll be some people who will start, and you'll be like, "Yeah," you know, you kind of lean forward. It's like, and I've sort of, I often think about that, and what is it? that makes you decide that this person you can trust them with this time or this emotion or this feeling you know that you're putting into it and so that's where I think it helps if you give them a little bit of the translation they're like okay I know what this is about and sometimes I joke with them and you're like you know I can tell you anything (laughs) what are some reactions you have to deal with when singing a a song in Afrikaans I think there's sort of two extremes maybe on the one extreme, there's like people like, oh, that's so exotic, it's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, that's great, keep saying <laughs> that. Um, and on the other hand, people well-meaning, but I, I have one song called Miskinis Did Noit, which is, you know, very, um, it sort of goes through a b- breakdown. It's like, uh, well, what, what it did was it sort of tried to contrast the, the, the sense of missing and loss I, I felt when I came to the US. Um, and it's like, am I missing the country? Am I missing the people? Which one is it, you know? Mm. And so it goes, you know, maybe if it never was you that I missed, maybe it was really this this broader thing. That and, it, and it tries to play that out. But someone came to me after a show and they're like, oh, it sounded to me like you were saying my skin is annoyed. 
and that just ruined it for me. I think oh, I no. never, I never, I don't know if I ever played that song after that. Again. You have. Um, it's not the same. It's just yeah. <laughs> but it does. Every time I think of good uh, pun jokes about her lyrics, and don't tell me. I just I don't tell her. <laughs> it's better not. To, I just I giggle to myself. It. I'm like <laughs> I'm clever. Yeah. No one will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, at what point did you decide to start uh, recording your your music? I did the first. I think. I think the first one was songs from Church Street, which oh, really? I which I later learned. No, 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 no. Before that, I did one EP, three songs with oh. Matthew Gare in South Africa, which was Fulio, um, and so that was maybe in. It was maybe after I'd been in the in the U.S. for two or three years mm-hmm. that I decided to do that experiment, um, and that was kind of a fun thing because I had no idea where to start. I was like, I wanna, I wanna record something. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I was leery of just sort of walking into a studio and spending a whole lot of money and not knowing how this whole thing works. And then I read a blog by someone at the time who kind of put together his process and he was explaining how he was using little sounds, um, bottles and whatnot. And I loved the sound that he had put together. And so I wrote to him and I was like, hey, do you ever want to do something? And he was in South Africa. So it was really cool because he was working for this animation studio at the time. And so um, instead of a recording studio, we went into one of the booths in this animation uh, where they do the voiceovers? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And um, th- we got permission to just use that, and he organized for a drummer. And you know, I think those three songs actually, I looking at them now, I'm not nuts about the voice. You know, my my sort of vocal technique still had a long way to go, mm-hmm. but I think musically what he put together and the way it came together, mm-hmm. I love. You know, well, I I feel listen to your music. You have a great uh, uh, folk sultry voice to you thank you is that something you developed or something you had on and you just capitalized on I don't know I mean I was always very unsure about my voice and very it's like I didn't trust my own ears Mm -hmm. so I was convinced that I must be going either sharp or flat and that it must be terrible and I just don't know it (laughs) because I can't hear it So a lot of the initial, you know, and I think there was some truth to it. I think there are times that you go, when you haven't developed good technique, unless you're very lucky, um, you, it's easy to go sharp or flat and not sound good. And so maybe the the two come together. I think there's also a thing that happens where there are some flaws that you will not hear until you know how to fix them. Maybe it's just your own way of protecting yourself or something. Mm-hmm. And so I think as you as you stick with it longer, you start having the tools to fix some of it, and then you become more aware and, you know, things grow. I mean, we often marvel at it in, in open mic setups where, you know, someone will come in and really not be that impressive. And you watch them stick to it over three or four years, and suddenly they come into their own, and they're just... People start paying attention to them and, and, and listening. 
so there there is a growth that happens you know um and maybe it's just practice maybe it's having the feedback that sort of subtle thing where you start noticing when people perk up and you're like oh i don't know what that was but i need to do a bit more of that yeah um but i don't i don't think i i I never had one of those voices where you know i would just randomly sing in a room and everyone would stop listening and they're like yeah you should go and audition it's not that kind of thing you Mm. know it seems like you want to chime in there for a second uh that was just i saw an example of the development happen on tuesday Mm -hmm. literally it was someone who's been going to open mic for a couple years now and then like tuesday like it just it seemed to come together this is amazing like everyone was into it and it was this just like a flip switch and it was like little things it was also playing like you know he's locked in on tempo a thing that would never happen before and but <laughs> yeah. also the strength of the voice like they're like the limitations of the voice are accepted but then like pushed as far as they can go um that was that was the thing that was in my head um yeah it takes time it takes patience a mm-hmm. lot of patience like yeah. For me, I'm still trying to develop my voice, and I have a long way to go, but I feel I'm better than when I first started. I was oh, yeah. god-awful, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not that better off now, but still, <laughs> it's like it takes time. Yeah. So um, the sad thing is you make recordings, and then a year or two after that, it's almost like you want to hide them. Yeah. And you, you know you shouldn't, because there's also a thing where I've gone back sometimes. Mm-hmm. You would hate something, and then you give it a couple years, and you come back to it, and you're like, huh. That's not so bad. Right, right. So now I just let it be. If I've made it, I've made it. I think someone said to me somewhere along the line, they're like, you set it aside, you move on, you do your next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't try to hide it anymore, but I I do feel, one always feels that your latest work must be your best. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about uh, Songs from Church Street. That, that's mm-hmm. your first full album. Yeah, which that and poor name was so misleading. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me, why did you come up with that name? What, what was the story lived, behind it? Because I lived on Church Street at the time. So you thought people might have thought it was like a religious-based... Uh... Well, that's that I think is a thing I ran into. A lot of people assumed that it was a religious thing, and they were maybe a little disappointed <laughs> when I'm not that religious. See, if you, put that, <laughs> you put that out in the Bay Area and everyone thinks that you just live next door to Sparky's before it closed, <laughs> but like here, or it's, uh, anywhere else in the country, you are projecting something that you may be not trying to project, I don't know. Yeah. Now, at this point, were you involved with that? No, album? no, no. Not yet? This was when she was still in uh, Ohio, Chicago, Chicago. Chicago yeah. Okay, so uh, um, Songs from Church uh, was released in 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, tell me how was developing that album and selecting those songs? Because I'm sure you had a high volume of songs, but you got to pick these specific ones for this album. What um, was the thought process and what kind of conversations were you having in the studio? So what I did with that one, I actually think it was a very... I've never done it since because I just haven't had the patience. But I actually home recorded that album over and over again until I felt good about it. And then I took it into Bill Kavanagh um, in... in, I want to say Oakland now, but it's not. It's Oak Park, just outside of Chicago. Then I took it into his studio and recorded it with him. Um... I don't remember my process for picking the songs. Some of them, I think, were songs that were very present with me at the time, you know, that I was working on. Um, I think some of it was sort of, I mean, there was House of Song, which is a tribute to Gallery Cabaret that I wrote, so that made a lot of sense to be in there. 
some of it I think with a sort of top of mind emotional journey that I was in um, so they were fresh and I loved them I have a whole lot of really old songs that I want to record at some point that have just you know I think when I started recording it was always like let's record what I'm working on now and those older ones sort of stayed by the wayside and I'm, I'm trying to do something about that now it's just going a bit slow um, but yeah I think the the sort of uh, the process at the time was home record the whole thing then go in with Bill and I would go and I would sort of have these blocks of recording time with him and go in in the evenings after work often and just sit down and he would put me in the middle of you know he had a pretty big studio space and I kind of feel a little drowned in there mm-hmm. um, and at that time there was still a lot more you know recorded over and over and over until you like it um, whereas now I think when we record things it goes a lot faster mm. than it did a, a song that that stuck out to me on that album was uh, Kindness of Men mm. tell me about that song how did it come to you in, in I think that's kind of a because that, that was like a haunting song <laughs> <laughs> And, and honestly, it's actually an important song to me because it's sort of almost like a life anthem in a way, you know. I think it was a, it wouldn't come across in the song, but it's, it's sort of a deeply feminist song. Mm-hmm. And it was a, hey, I, I take control of my circumstance. I think it was tough for me in a lot of ways. When you pick your trajectory in life, you pick your career. You know, I think my first love was language and I always thought, oh, I would write, I would do this or that. And when it came to it, when I finished school, I had no money. I had no one who could sponsor me to go and study or do anything like that. I looked around, I was like, what am I going to do? Find a job in like a car dealership or, you know, be a receptionist or this or that. But I wanted to study. I dearly wanted to study. You know, I'd always had this idea, like somehow I was going to go to university and do something. And so I sat down and I sort of did a very calculated thing and I was like, well, what's the most likely thing that you would get sponsorship for? If you're a journalist, people don't just think you're going to be able to pay them back because, you know, it's not a well-paying thing. So I went into accounting instead, which was my worst subject. (laughs) The toughest one Was it the numbers or the money? It was a, I want to go to university and if I look at who might give me a bursary, Here's a path. If you went and you did like the curriculum three, you know, straight accounting path, they, they, I could see that there were companies that you could apply to for bursaries. You know, there was a standard process that they had to identify people and see them through. And right. so that didn't, I didn't see that for the other paths, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, I can always study as three years. It's not the rest of your life. Right. But you and just so it feels like your strongest suit, accounting. It's my worst. Your worst. It was my worst. I went and picked the thing that I was worst at, but it worked in that I got the opportunity. I got the bursaries to just have the foot in the door for the very first starting classes and whatnot. I then branched out into computer science instead. And what I do now is kind of a little bit of a mix of everything. Um, But for me, that was sort of mentally a big thing because I was like, am I choosing, like you said, that you do it for the money? And I was like, am I going after money now like is this who you are blah 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 um but kind it was also just i'd seen firsthand growing up that especially as a woman 
if you can't take care of yourself, if you don't earn your own money, you know, and women only got the right to have their own bank accounts in the mid 80s in South Africa, I think 1985 it was, then you're at the mercy of whoever is around you. And if you luck out and you're with a good man, you have a good life. And in many cases, you're at the mercy of someone who maybe isn't that stable or isn't that good for you. And you don't have options, you know, and people stay in abusive relationships because they don't have options. And so it was really, really important to me that I was not going to be that. I was going to have choice. Mm. And so I think that is a lot of what's behind kindness of men. It was a lot of very real memories. I mean, the verses in there that I describe in there are specific events or they point to specific events that I remember and just that desire. And, you know, even now when I speak to young people who are like, you know, what should I do for a living? And, you know, the American thing is follow your heart, follow your dreams. I'm like, follow your dreams, but make sure you can take care of yourself. Yes. To me, that's more important, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, interesting you picked were, that one. <laughs> were you always uh, outspoken uh, about these things or was this something you, you expressed in your songs specifically? I think I've been pretty, I mean, I'm, I, I talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you hear you're developing the yeah. album. How, how are the over, like surrounding reactions to it? Mm-hmm. Was your family supportive? Was I think, yeah. I mean, I, I would make it and I would give it to them. My mom would love to listen to it. You know, they they listen to my music in the house. It makes them happy, you know. Um, and... And it was at a point where, you know, I was, I'd already been out of the house for, you know, I effectively was out of the house when I was 16. So, you know, I wasn't asking for permission to do anything. Um, so I just did it. And, um, but yeah, I think they're supportive in that, you know, even now, every year I go back, I try to do a house concert and it's sort of a practical thing as well. You go back for two weeks, you don't have time to go and visit everyone. And I want to do music. So now what I do is I just invite the people whom I would love to see play. And I'm like, come and do a show with me. And I invite all my friends and family. And we just have like a really nice session okay. every time I go. But I, I'd say they were supportive, you know, in the ways that they could. You know, uh, yeah. So, and then your next album, which uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you actually, you put out two albums in the same year. I know. It was Looks a, like it. It was a crazy time. <laughs> uh, I believe, uh, how do you pronounce your, your second album? Uh, Kleine Gode. Is that the one you've got in front of you? No, in I got, yeah. Oh, in in okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that was also because, I mean, they had different processes. So I'd been working on Enmetite for a long time with my friend Francois. And we kind of had this collaboration going. And Francois the cello player. Yeah. Right. The, cool. the improv cello player. He also calls himself the Har Man. Um, the, the what man? The ha, as an H-A with an exclamation mark, as an exhalation of breath, like ha, oh, ha man. Interesting, uh, okay. Um, and we actually made that album twice because we did the first run where I gave him the songs and I was like, can you do like instrumental layers for me? And he kind of did very intricate because he, he does that with, you know, keyboards and strings and, you know, a lot of electronic sounds and sort of, they, they, they were very sort of theatrical and it wasn't quite clicking for me you know I was like this is great but I don't know if this is it and it was also very hard for me because he would make basically this backtrack almost and then the idea was that I would sing over it 
but I just couldn't. I couldn't find my place. It just wasn't gelling for me. And then maybe a stroke of fate, but his hard drive crashed and he lost everything. And so we were going to start over. And I said to him, when we do it again, can we do just cello? Hmm. And so we did that, you know. I, I did the vocal and I was like, you just do the cello. And um, so I basically had the two projects maybe happening in different directions, but with some overlap. And um, yeah, that's how it came about that I released two in a year. <laughs> two in a year, and then the next year you released another <laughs> one in 2013. I know. With, with Klein Gode. Klein Gode. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell me about that album and, and what was so going on with that one. Klein um, So I, go, I try to go to South Africa every year, year and a half. What does Klein Gode mean? Oh, Klein Gode means like little deities. Um, and that particular song, because it's the name of one of the songs, is sort of about this viewing a relationship almost as a creative partnership. Mm. Um, I always, I'm still not sure if I want to take the last verse out because it had a very uh, dramatic and less than positive ending. <laughs> or a sad ending, maybe. Um, but so I, I basically had five days of studio time in Stellenbosch in Cape Town. Um, with Jürgen and I thought it'd been we'll just go in and see how much we get done we'll see see what comes out of it um, and we got this amazing girl I actually hadn't realized just how well known she is in South Africa and what fantastic work she does she's apparently she did piano at the University of Cape Town like jazz and she's the only person ever there to have gotten 100% for one of their jazz years I had I didn't know that he you know Jurgen was like oh there's this girl who lives you know on the other side of two farms over um, you wanted to come and do accompaniment and I was like yeah yeah do it <laughs> um, but yeah we went in I mean I had the songs ready so what I would do is I would sort of do recordings and ideas beforehand and send it to him as I ramp up for for coming in um, and I think one or two of those songs were sort of last minute. I really want to put this song in, but there's this verse that I'd never resolved. Let me resolve it now, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, comes out with it. Um, and so, yeah, I think we recorded it in, in the week. I only had the week because I was in South Africa. I booked the five days. I would go in every day. Wow. About 45 minutes from where my mom lives, which I loved. It was like, this is, this is the best commute ever. I would like drive there in the morning. I'd have, you know, whatever songs we'd work on in the day. I'd have that in the car so I could sing it as I went along. Mm. And it's just a beautiful road, like um, Josh and I subsequently recorded five songs there, um, along the farmlands and winelands, sort of uh, up the mountain. And you go up this really steep road called Hell's Height, Hell's Wuchter, um, up to the farm. So it was a really magical week, and out of it came that album. Wow, all um, week. Yeah. Tell me about this, uh, at what point did you two start collaborating, and how did you guys meet? So Josh hosts the open mic in at Bizarre Cafe. Oh, is that you? Okay, I heard about that. Yeah. So, which is interesting. That's the one where there's no uh, uh, speakers, right? It's all yeah, acoustic. Yeah, it's all acoustic. It's all original. So yeah. if, if something's not in public domain or your own song, you're not allowed to play it. Um, and which I've is been the best. Yeah. <laughs> doing that for five-ish years. I don't really know. Like I don't. It doesn't matter that much to me. Like how many anniversaries it is. I only have any idea how much it is because the guy I took it over, like the hosting slot from, 
uh, he's the host at the Hotel Utah open mic, and he he cares about marking anniversaries. So like he has a party like it's my six year host anniversary. Everyone come to open mic tonight and, and high five me. Six years. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it's six years for me too. So. I'm the same way. I, yeah. I, I run a, a stand up comedy mic here mm-hmm. in downtown oh, San Jose. Okay. We reached our three year. And I'm like, I, did, I forgot. <laughs> Even this podcast, I reached my three year anniversary. And I'm like, nice. oh. Okay, so I forgot about yeah. that. But uh, I, yeah, it's pretty funny. So we ran the Bazaar Cafe. Yeah. And then is it she performed, I'm assuming? Yeah, so even before I moved to San Francisco, I, I'd i been invited to do a house concert in Modesto. And at the time, I had the free time. So I was like, and my rule is if you invite me to play somewhere and I can do it, I'll do it, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I'll come. I'll go. And um, in the, and I that's when I fell in love with San Francisco. I hadn't considered ever coming here. But I was like, oh my gosh, why can't I live here? This is amazing. So I came up for a week. I did some job interviews. And in that week, I went to a different open mic every night of the week. Mm. And um, so Which ones did you go to? Hotel Utah. Uh, Friscati. Uh, yeah, um, I'm Friscati. Yeah. Actually, David, he hosted Friscati for a long time. Nice. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. And um, the one in Bolinas. Um, and bizarre, and there must have been, there was another one somewhere in there. But so, essentially, I, su- I would have seen Josh host that night and that week before I moved here. And then as soon as I moved here, that became my home, you know, because it's just perfect. I love going to a place where everyone there is invested in writing music, creating, you know, so it's a different, it's a very different vibe you get from an open mic where, you know, People come play covers, etc. Which is good as well. There's so nothing wrong with it. But it's just really special to go to a place where everyone, and and I think that's why it's such a good listening space as well. Um, it's just a different crowd. Yeah, I, I guess the space you created also kind of leaves oh, room I inherited. for you're inherited. <laughs> uh, leaves room for authenticity. Yeah, I mean it kind of demands it. Like yeah. if you if you come in, like. It's the Bay Area still, right? It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, it's always a positive atmosphere, forward facing, even if we give each other crap behind the scenes. Um, uh, but if you come in and all you're doing is just ripping off some person that everyone knows, or if you are trying to like trying to secretly play covers which sometimes happens like (laughs) people either get a little bit upset at you or just like stop paying attention to you i don't know i don't know like i don't know if we've run people out of there accidentally by deciding that they weren't creatively interesting but we probably have we're just uh we didn't do it on purpose but um the people who we find creative creatively interesting everyone gloms on to we're like and it's i think one of the reasons people drive two hours to get there you Mm. know um because they get there and they're like just over and over. I mean, sometimes like, can we all just stop patting each other on the back? Because at the end of the night, you'll have people huddling and standing in circles, going, "Wow, this is such a special place. This is so cool. I didn't know this." And you have new people arrive, and you know, just blown away. And I think it's partially, you know, whatever music happens, and partially the sense of community that exists there. Mm-hmm. Um, just because people feel supportive, they're all trying to create, they're all trying to grow and write better music, and. Um, and and I feel there's sort of a tacit thing, like we're good to each other, we support each other, 
you know, when we're there, and people respond to that. And I'll be honest, I feel like the Bay Area has a surfeit of this. Like, it's not just bizarre, though we sort of exemplify it and the rules demand it, but, like, you go to the Hotel Utah open mic, and it is mostly originals. It is mostly songwriters, and it is mostly people, like, dipping their toe into performing and finding other good people to work with. And that is that's true all across the city. That's true down into other parts of uh, the whole Bay Area. I've been to ones that I haven't been crazy about in the Bay Area. I'm not going to name too many names. But, uh, uh, like, I leave the Bay Area and I go to open mics in major cities. And it's it's intensely disappointing when it's <laughs> We're like, so spoiled, yeah. like <laughs> half competently played covers that you feel like they've probably played that same cover every week for the last two months and they still haven't quite gotten it but they're going to come back and do it again next week and it's like so I'm, I'm a brat and I'm spoiled mm. and I love it how, how would you both uh, best describe your working relationship in collaboration and music Oh, that was a hard question for both of you. <laughs> well, it's different because I write songs, and um, when I write songs, like I, I know what I want. Like I want, I want, I want this harmony and this harmony. And I need you to practice that. We need to get it. Um, uh, and when she writes songs, it varies a lot. Sometimes there's a concrete thing that she knows that she's going after, but a lot of times it's like she plays a song, and then I just find a part that I like and. That's that ends up being a part, and if we go into the studio, maybe that's still the part. And if we go into the studio and it feels like we should do something else, we do something else. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so it's very, it's very fluid in some ways, and I almost view us. It's we've never really co-written songs, you know, like sat down and said, "Let's work on this." It's more just a uh, let's play and see how these things evolve. And, and in some ways, I don't view it as like a... It's like we support each other in that we play on each other's music or play on each other's songs, but it's not a collaboration in that sort of very strict sense of we write songs together and craft things together. We and should we try have, that sometime. And we have other songwriter friends as well. I mean, there's four of us songwriters who sometimes get together as the Blue Ocean Collective, and what that really means is... Each of us is singing some of our own songs and we've worked out contributing, you know, harmonies and pieces to those songs. But we can go forward and sing those songs by ourselves and they still stand. Um, I will say, though, that I'm so spoiled now that it's hard for me to play completely that's, solo. It that's feels what empty. being in a band is. It's like as soon as you've heard your music transformed by other people, it's tough to pretend like it worked before yeah yeah <laughs> i've been there yeah fair enough yeah I, I got a band called the wandering poets and it's like can i go solo again i don't know it's hard. i don't know that's interesting so yeah. tell me more about the the blue ocean collective mm -hmm. uh when was that established and what was the 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 idea of it so maybe and some of that maybe comes back because you asked earlier you know sort of how did we start collaborating and so i started going to bizarre cafe Maybe a year into that, I said, hey, I, I wanted to do a show. And I invited Josh and Luna, who then, um, Luna and Sean, you'll hear me mention them. We're the Blue Ocean Collective. Um, so we started practicing once a week at her house with some friends. And we just do songs on the round and work on some of these songs towards that show. Um, 
and that's kind of how it came about we worked to- together towards that show really enjoyed it kept going and at some point Sean started joining us and we still you know sometimes we have intense periods where we work a lot and do more sometimes our individual lives get really busy and it kind of slows down but we're always individually continuing to write and sing and then you know sort of get together as we go along I'm kind of sad that we've never really done much recording I think the most collective Blue Ocean recording recording is the Christmas tune I did with the Dull Richards where I got literally everybody in on it yeah but that wasn't the Blue Ocean feel yeah (laughs) <laughs> we've done interesting things along the along the way at, at some point I was sort of enamored with the idea of live recordings in different sort of reverby spaces I think it's after I got my zoom and so we were going to um, different forts etc and we would just practice there and record it and so you kind of get the little gravelly sounds as people walk and whatnot and so we never really use those I still have them I go back to them every once in a while and listen we, to we them. We did put out one as a Christmas song on 11th Avenue Records. Yeah. They have a Christmas compilation they do every year, yeah. almost every year. They skipped yeah. it this year. So we did We did the one at, which fort was that? That was Hawk Hill Yeah. at um, Marin Headlands. Because yeah. you, you get such beautiful reverb in these old... Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned earlier hints that you're currently working on a new album, right? Is that what's happening now? What I'm doing is I'm trying to pick up some of my early songs... Oh, that's right, you um, mentioned that. And I go into Tommy every once in a while, and I'm like, hey, let's work on this song. Um, so whether that becomes sort of a completed album, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Or do I just put them out as I go along, or is it time for the next video? I've got a couple video ideas sort of brewing. Now, for one of them, is with a Commissa project, so I'm sort of trying to figure out the logistics of how I, I need a partner there to help me film some of those underground tunnels, etc., and then maybe put it together. And S- Secretly, she's an abstract filmmaker who writes songs in order to facilitate her... Uh, <laughs> some of that is true. Secretly, life. huh? <laughs> so do you feel like you, you have like more of a visual uh, uh, outlook in your, into your own music? And For some, I have an idea of... I have some specific images that I want to try and accomplish. Some I do, some I don't. I don't know if you saw the, mi- the video for When We Were Water, but there were some ideas there that we never quite got to that I'd hoped that would be in there. Um, one was sort of, well, sort of two images that, that, and maybe I'll work it into something in future, was rivers of traffic and rivers of people um, and kind of doing that with, um, you know, a time-lapse I, th- I think some of it was just logistically and then Josh likes to you know obey all the rules and we can't film in a public place if there are going to be people who could maybe be identified because maybe they will not like S- it sounds like I Josh <laughs> here is a pro- well, he, he's thinking like a producer <laughs> I know and, and you're thinking <laughs> as the director I'm like can I just go yeah. at one of the BART stations and put up my camera quietly and yeah. you know sometimes it gives them great heartache like the, the video I got yelled at at a uh, <laughs> hostel because <laughs> we took the window out. we took the <laughs> screen out of the window so I could shoot time lapse of the uh, um, lighthouse. Did you break the screen or was no? It? no I was very careful. No, but we just lifted the screen out oh, and we and put they just, it back in, and they're like, uh, "Whoa!" Here's the thing: it's like 
<laughs> I understand why they were upset. If you run a youth hostel at a lighthouse on the coast of California, you expect that when people take the screen out, there's probably some dumb thing they're doing. I was just shooting uh, time-lapse with my camera, yeah, and I know how to put a screen I, back in, so it was it was fine. It all ended well. Sometimes yeah. you bend it a did little it, bit, and it's well, still okay. More importantly, <laughs> did you get the shot? I did. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I put the screen back and shot through the screen, and it was fine. Yeah, yeah, uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Guerrilla filmmaking—it's yeah. it's a whole different field. But but trust me, it's good to have someone like Josh around. Though. <laughs> it's it's really good. Believe it or not. Every yeah. once in a while, I do stupid things. I know. Um, but like the um, Alice Fazek and My Eight video, which is um, it basically tries to depict. A little bit of Africana history, maybe. So it takes this girl and it puts her in the Dutch era in the 1600s and then um, kind of World uh, Boer War time um, and uh, sort of maybe Voortrekker type era. And so she kind of moves through the eras. And for that, we did some, I think... I, I broke rules all over the place for that. I am capable of it, yeah. just saying. That was some solid guerrilla filmmaking because I wanted a sort of a Dutch house. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'd gotten an outfit... That wait, wait. We wanted a Dutch tall ship, <laughs> and there's a museum in Amsterdam where there's a Dutch tall ship. And she was she had a work trip that she had to go to London. And of course, once you're in London, pre Brexit, then you're allowed to just hop over to Amsterdam for a weekend. Like no one cares. Right. Um. So we identified this museum has the ship we want. Beautiful. We go to Amsterdam, and it happens to be the one week where it's like the European Union General Council and they've taken over the museum where the ship is and you're not allowed to go to the ship. So like So there I am, all dressed up with my little cuppy, like little headdress thingy and my green velvet straight dress. Straight from the 1600s. Everything <laughs> yeah. is period. We're ready to go. We go to the museum and it's closed. Uh-huh. And we go across the street to this weird little like avant-garde house that serves as the annex to the museum. And we're like, hey, we're going to go to that boat. We can't get to the boat. Is there anything else old here that we could go hang out in? And and they're like, well, there's a historical house set up like it's the 1600s. And we're like, where is it? Tell us now. Um, so we went there and we, we just kind of looked at everything. And as soon as there was no one else in the room, we'd be like, okay, here's a shot. Walk that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, though, because you couldn't play the music. Right. So, you right. know, anything you want to lip sync, l- luckily Josh is a really good editor and really good at kind of editing those little lip sync details and getting them just in mm-hmm. and making, I mean, for for um, when we were water, he actually made whole people disappear from shots. It was amazing. <laughs> now, how is it traveling cool. to different countries and playing music? Do you feel like what are some challenges you had to deal with and what are some tips you would you offer to other musicians listening in who are thinking of going, you know? On a tour somewhere in Europe. The logistics of traveling with instruments is a nightmare. So, what we ended up doing, for example, is I now we now keep a guitar and a banjo with my family in South Africa, so that when we go, we don't have to try and travel with it. Um, for for Amsterdam, um, through a friend, I heard of a place where I could rent a. a, a um, Banjo. Banjo, and I think we ended up borrowing another one. So there was like a whole two days just in taking trains and getting around to get these instruments so that we can do our show. So that for me is probably the trickiest thing that we haven't solved. Um, But if you travel with your instrument, you never know if you're going to have to check it. 
Um, there's, there's a reason why everybody drives to tour. Like, that's just so much easier. Yeah. You, you don't have to worry about a security person at an airport if you are just getting into your car. Right, yeah. right. Just b banging it up, throwing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. But probably that's that aside, um, and it's not like we're seasoned international tourists, you know, we've just done a couple of, of shows and it's usually through a network of you know, people that we know. I have in London sort of just struck out and I would reach out to different venues and say, hey, I'm coming, um, and manage to organize something fairly small. Um, but I think the main thing is you, you kind of view it as this opportunity to just sort of have all of these, you, you end up with really magical experiences as you go along. I think in part because you're out of your comfort zone and you're just open um, you're open to talking to people and experiences and meeting people in sort of a, a different place in a different way than than you would normally, and so you just end up with. I mean, some of it's it's kind of funny, but some of the the people that I met on my first trip to Amsterdam, I would go and do the show, and there'd be six people in the room, mm -hmm. and we would just sort of make it. My, my favorite shows are the ones that are conversation and singing, like I I kind of change the sequence of songs as we go along so that it forms a conversation so you can sing a song talk about it it'll remind you of something else you'll be like okay and then you bring that into the conversation and you let it flow that way small aside this sometimes results in playing songs that i've literally never heard of at all and the in lucky a show thing is in that front of people you can do it so you're just and improvising so, it oh yeah you're just going with it yep yep master winger that's my, my that's our collaboration my down to you man that's tough <laughs> Um, can you at least get like the chords? <laughs> oh, I I equip myself well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it happens. It happens. <laughs> um, and maybe that's why the collaboration works, you know, because um, without that, I don't. If, if it was too rigid and we can only play what we practiced in the exact order, then. You know, you couldn't have those kind of magical yeah. it's types of shows. Suffer looks like he's willing to adapt to your chaos, and you, <laughs> you, and vice versa, adapt with his structural. But he, here's the deep irony: yeah. when we talk music, that's what it is. I'm the chaos; you're the structure. In real life, uh, totally opposite. Totally <laughs> opposite. <laughs> um, I am a whirlwind. But to just to come back for a second, it's like those six people that one had that conversational show with they are the people who 10 years later are still part of one's life and you know we've kind of you stay in touch you follow each other um and, it, and it's just beautiful and that i i love that about um these international trips is like you you might bond with a small number of people as you go along but it's just so worked out that those have been very strong good bonds mm -hmm. I, I think my takeaway from her experience because she's actually been more successful at this than me is is reach out and try like she had this thing in her head where she wanted to perform at this Afrikaans music festival in Amsterdam I have no idea why she wanted to do this but like it was important and she did and she did it just by like reaching out like you can't ever you can't ever succeed at doing something if you don't reach out and try to do it like step one is literally taking the first first step no journey begins without a first step well my my i feel like the best approach is just one starts going in the direction that you want to go 
and you put a foot down and if nobody stops you and nobody blocks you and you put down one more and if they do you kick them out of the way no you don't that's what your feet are for <laughs> but honestly even <laughs> like a, you know when, when sometimes that works <laughs> i had to do that a couple of times sure when you mentioned kindness of men before uh-huh. i mean for me that's how my life has kind of found its way you know i was like i want to go and study i want to be at this university and I just went and when I went I didn't have the money yet I didn't quite I'd gotten a letter saying I was I was accepted into the hostel but not the university but I was like if I'm not there I won't know so I got a bus ticket and I went (laughs) and I just feel like so often if one if you wait until the whole picture is clear to you and you know exactly how everything is gonna work there's a very good chance you'll just not go Whereas if you go, okay, well, I'm just going to step in that direction. What's the worst case? I have to come home with my tail between my legs and say, sorry, it didn't work out. But you probably had some, you know, good experiences. Or it propelled you in another direction. You never knew. There's so many options, right? And so with these things, it's the same. You just put out a feeler and if it, many of them lead nowhere. But every once in a while they do. And then it's amazing. Well, Roseanne, it's great having you here. We're closing up shop now. It's great talking to you both. Thank I think you. that's a good note to end on. Um, tell the people where can they find your work and, and where can they check out your music. And uh, as well for you, Josh, where can they check out your music and, and, your, uh, and, your, and your mic? So the easiest thing is you Google. <laughs> so if you Google Roseanne, R-O-Z-A-N-N-E, and then Gewaar, G-E-W-A-A-R, That'll take you to my website, gewaardwordings.co.za, which has got all of the songs and links to where you can find them. And if you put that same name into iTunes, you would find stuff. And you would find my Facebook page where, you know, I post little updates every so often. Um, So that's just the easiest. Just if you know the name and you want to, you'll find something. And then for Josh. Um, So the open mic is at the Bazaar Cafe. Thursday nights at 7 p.m. We do sign-ups weird. We do them one week in advance. Um, so often people either call in the week before um, or if you're at the open mic that week, up. then you sign up for the next week. Um, uh, my main musical outlet right now is a string band called The Dalt Richards, um, and we are found most easily at thedaltrichards.com, and we're at The Dalt Richards on all of the many social medias. Mm-hmm. Our Twitter is not super active, but I, I do some Instagramming and yeah. Facebook pretty often. But then look up Josh Beamish, because I feel that people... Josh doesn't always tell people of his just songwriting life. And that's you know, goes to many different groups. So just look up Josh Beamish as well. And good luck finding it. Though it is on SoundCloud. <laughs> I, I think it's findable on SoundCloud, uh-huh. um, where I, I post some early demos of ideas that I'm working on. All right, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna end on a song. Do, do you have? Do you know which song you're gonna be playing? We thought we would do Army of Muses for you. Army of Muses. What's the story behind that song? So, Josh had his birthday. And he was hosting that night, so I couldn't do a party. It was a Thursday night, so it was yeah. at Bazaar Cafe. I couldn't, I couldn't go off and do something else because it was my birthday on my open mic. So instead, what we did is we got every, a whole bunch of people at open mic to dress up as some of the character uh, 
figures that Josh has designed, like superhero characters. Mm -hmm. And so we all showed up that night, and as part of kind of getting ready for that night, I ended up writing Army of Muses, because um, at the time he had a character called the Muse. But I also just liked the idea that the Muse isn't just one, there isn't just one Muse, there's a whole army. And so it's really sort of an ode to creativity and what it takes to write and mm -hmm. what it takes to show up and just do your thing, you know? I gotta, I gotta work on that comic book too. She won't take the way that the crow flies. She won't hear the lines in the alibis. She doesn't ask, she doesn't tell. She won't be bought and she won't sell. You bring yourself to the table. Make your stories and your fables. She always has time if you'll be there. Leave the door untended if you really can. There's a small army of muses. A small army of muses. There's a small army of muses. Waiting in the small smile, waiting in the long mile, waiting in a long forgotten style She won't be summoned, she won't be caught Spin a web in hours and the passion's fraught She wears a smile for the most part Ties a knot around her neck Flying is a black art Known to linger when your heart breaks Known to linger when it all aches She won't invite you but the table Show up at her place and you do and you wait There's a small army of muses A small army of muses There's a small army of muses Waiting in the small smile, waiting in the long mile, waiting in a long forgotten style She twirls on the tip of a ballpoint pen Dances at the edge of the fox's den Rises with the steam and runs with the wren Reaches through the looking glass through the eyes of men Retreat inside and wait for when What you see is what you are is what you write and do what you pour is what he is. There's a small army of muses. A small army of muses. There's a small army of muses. Waiting in the small smile, waiting in the long mile, waiting in a long for more information on Rosanne's work, please visit her website, which is howardwordings.co.za. 
Well, I'll spell it out. Uh, Hawar is spelled with a G E W A A R W O R D I N G S dot C O dot Z A. Uh, she has some great music videos. She has some other great songs available for you right there. And uh, follow her where you can, either on social media or on her um, other pages, such as CD Baby. Don't forget, you can find her music at cdbaby.com. All right, that's it for this week. Have a great rest of your week. Oh, by the way, I double-checked. I know in the intro I said check out awesomefoundation.com. I was wrong. Actually, the proper website is awesomefoundation.org. They're an organization. Makes sense. All right, see you later. Take it easy.